On today's player pool, we have a lot to cover. We're going to go over quarterbacks, what we're looking in quarterbacks, the main rule, the main focus when selecting our quarterbacks. We're going to discuss the routes you take when going naked quarterback versus stacked. And then we're going to move to tight ends and look at our bargain tight ends. We have another motto for tight ends that has to be burned into your brain. So that starts today. Also, I discuss the one downside to using the player pool podcast. Let's jump in. It's the Player Pool Podcast with your host, Austin Raboyne. Welcome back to the Player Pool. I tell you what, when this podcast first launched, I thought my Player Pool, the little pool we had, you know, wasn't going to be a kitty sized pool, but maybe just a nice, classy, above ground pool in the backyard. Uh, we've gained more listeners episode by episode. Maybe we'll put an above ground deck on this uh, above ground pool. I don't know. Maybe we'll just start digging and, and put a bonafide pool in. I appreciate all the support, guys. I really do. If you haven't already, why haven't you subscribed to Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify? It's fun that way. That means I'll come straight to you. Also, if you haven't yet, my team is talking about how to put a graphic together to have all of our terminology and definitions laid out. We want to get that put together and post it on our socials. So if you haven't yet, find us on Twitter, Player Pool Pod. We also have a page on Facebook. We're also on Instagram at Player Pool Pod. Find us wherever. We'll try to get the information out to you. I know we got a lot of visual learners out there. So we're going to try to get some images out there and, and paint a better picture. Uh, I know hearing it just verbally sometimes is tough, so we'll, we'll keep going. I've had a few people send some screenshots to me of how they've laid out their player pools already. I've seen a few people that have already filled out a player pool, uh, which is awesome to see. And uh, I just can't wait for you guys to just roll with that week to week and, and turn it into your own NFL fantasy football kind of puzzle that you work on every week. It's It's a blast. So... Uh, now, before we get started, I do have some news, something I should have warned you about prior to you engaging in the player pool. There is a negative aspect to this, and it could affect you. It could affect your relationships. And no, I'm not talking about the ungodly amount of time you do need to devote to building your player pool and crafting. Now, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something much, much more sad. So, I was expecting the news. I knew that this was coming, but it still hurt when it did. Yesterday at 9.15 a.m., I received the text from my commissioner of the FanDuel league that I'm in in my hometown. The text read, I'm sorry, but I got to boot you from the FanDuel league. You are simply too smart for all of us. Your DFS wisdom is out of this world. I begged the commissioner to leave me in. I even offered to let the grand prize roll over for three years, and only if I won all three years could I collect. And it was an instant shutdown. So I want to warn you out there, engaging the player pool may get you kicked out of home leagues, but in this case, it's not going to ruin any relationships. I get it, Kamish. I'll just pack up and move on. But moving on to things that matter, I think I should name this segment Reaching for any NFL news at all possible. But the only thing that's really on my radar today is Jerry Judy injury uh, in training camp. That is a bummer. I expected of all the pieces, the offensive pieces on the Denver Broncos, excited to have Sean Payton 
the Sean Payton brand of football on the Denver Broncos with Russell Wilson. Almost a certainty that the number one beneficiary was going to be Jerry Judy. Now he's got that terrible late training camp hamstring injury. Uh, from everything I've read, it looks to me like a grade two strain, which has a four to maybe even six week recovery time. And playing fantasy football now for 20 years, even before DFS existed, one thing I learned very young was when skill position players have a beyond a normal strain, hamstring or lower body injury in camp, not only do they have a slow start to the season, but that thing just lingers like a ticking time bomb all season. So that sucks. I hate to see Jerry Judy go out. It makes the Broncos, to me, a longer wait and see. Because you got Javante Williams coming back, but Samaj P. Ryan below him. So really, what are we getting into at this point? Unfortunately, in today on the show, we're getting into quarterbacks and tight ends, so I'll go more in depth later. But it's starting to look like, to me, a Russell Wilson maybe value Greg Dulcich show. Uh, Cortland Sutton's been he- held up for a long time as a viable fantasy option, but he just doesn't get it done. So sad to see the Denver Broncos best skill position player get caught with this injury bug. I pray for absolutely no other injuries of this type to affect any relevant fantasy football players before training camp is over. But as Leo says, the show goes on. So I've been saying Send your questions that are player pool specific to the player pool podcast at gmail.com. I'll reference it as the mailbag and I'll try to get to them on the show. The question that I've heard a lot from four different listeners is how many lineups are we building and is each lineup their own bet? So yes, that kind of applies today to, to the quarterback discussion we're going to have later in the show because the quarterback choice kind of dictates the flow of each lineup, kind of the story that each lineup tells. So yes, you're going to make three to nine lineups, whatever you're comfortable with, whatever your bankroll can can sustain. And then you are going to enter all those lineups in multiple contests equally for the same amount of money. And each lineup needs to be in the same amount of contests that have the same multiplier. So basically if lineup one is entered in 10 contests, lineup two needs to be entered in 10 contests the same amount of entry money, and for the same prize structure. You don't want to put lineup one in a contest that pays 10x if you win it, and then lineup two is in a contest that pays 25x, okay? So the other thing I would say when selecting contests, and we're going to talk about this once we get through the positions here, uh, so we'll probably talk about this next week or the week after. Contest selection is super important in daily fantasy. So you need to be playing contests with the least amount of entries, entrance, and the highest payout. You're aiming for a top 12 kind of placing. I play a lot of the leagues on FanDuel. So I hope that answers that question. Each lineup, you know, a whole spread, three to nine, they're all entering the same contest. And sometimes contests have max entries, right? So the leagues, for example, have, you can only enter three lineups. So if there's a $1 league and you have six lineups, you need to enter three of those lineups into that $1 league, three of the then lineups four, five, and six into the next $1 league. Make them even. Also, this point is timely today because we're talking about quarterbacks, but make sure you have a system in place that identifies each lineup you've made so that you don't get away from the base idea of why you created that lineup in the first place. 
So what I mean by this is, for example, you're playing Josh Allen in a Stefan Diggs stack. You need to identify that lineup as that's my Allen Diggs stack lineup so that if you are tinkering throughout the week, you don't get away from the main idea. Uh, the the Allen Diggs stack lineup probably has a run back position in there too. So make sure that that's highlighted. You don't want to tinker yourself out of the main idea or just into randomness as the, as Sunday kickoff approaches. One last thing, another note I got from a listener recently after last uh, wide receiver episode is, ooh, the podcasts are getting longer. Absolutely they are. I envision in the season the Tuesday reaction episode and takeaways will probably take close to 45 minutes or an hour. Expect, as the season goes, hour-long episodes. So prepare accordingly. I'll, I'll try to get the Friday episode out every morning and so you guys can digest that. But there's going to be a lot of tinkering to go on leading into Sunday. So I would encourage you, this is not just shamelessly trying to get more followers on Twitter, but I would encourage you to follow the uh, Player Pool Pod on Twitter because I will be tweeting out kind of my adjustments and commentary as new news is breaking. There's usually NFL-relevant news all the way up to about 11.30 a.m. Central Time. I've made lineup decisions based off Jay Glazer's reporting on the Fox pregame show at 11.45. So if you need it, stay in the pool a while. See what we're putting out on Twitter. Hopefully that can be helpful information as we're tweaking lineups leading up to kickoff. Okay, we need to discuss quarterbacks, what we're looking for in quarterbacks. And once we're done, we'll move to tight ends. Let's see what we got. I like that we're doing quarterbacks and tight ends together on this episode because both positions, when choosing them, have a very strong slogan that I've put over selecting those positions. And I do it for a purpose because people try to negotiate themselves into bad choices all the time. So for the quarterback position, when you are picking your quarterback, this is the not fucking around position. Now, I'm not a dad, but I'm going to try to put my dad pants on here because this is a point I need to get across to anyone who's picking up the player pool. If you ignore this instruction and try to convince yourself that some mid-tier quarterback is worth it or you got some value or salary relief from a value quarterback, I'm going to tell you once again, it's the not fucking around position. And what are we not fucking around with? We need 20 points guaranteed when I am talking about the other players and I say, you got to feel good about them hitting two X value. First off quarterbacks, you kind of want them to hit two and a half times uh, for value. But at the same time, if you got to pay nine K to guarantee yourself 20 fantasy points, do it. We are not fucking around. Quarterback needs to read minimum 20 every week. If it is 19.5, consider your lineup a disaster. Two reasons I am so critical on this point. One, if you're playing a quarterback that's stacked, it's the beating heart of the lineup. It's indicative of the health and the chances of opportunity with all the other players that are connected to that quarterback play in your lineup. If you're playing the quarterback naked like Justin Fields uh, is, as we're going to do a lot this season, you're still going to want to have that high floor base point scoring with 20-ish with Justin Fields and hope you still hit all your other players because the field is still going to be playing the rest of the quarterbacks that easily pick up 20. There is just a huge difference in the NFL 
between the quarterbacks who have to really have everything go perfectly to break 20 points and above and the quarterbacks that can pick up 20 nonchalantly. The, the quarterbacks that pick up 20 nonchalantly are always high-owned. I mean, this isn't a big mystery when picking quarterbacks. Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields should and will be the highest-owned quarterbacks every single week. You try to get cute and play Sam Howell or Derek Carr, you're going to be begging them to throw for 70% completion, 300 yards, and three touchdowns just to get about 23, 24 points. It's just a foolish bet to make. Sometimes it's as simple as it looks. So when you've made your player pool, the quarterback column is always, should be always, the smallest column you have. In weeks where you have eight, nine quarterbacks, good luck. That means you've got a lot of options to cover and you're probably not going to be very successful. So other attributes that we look for in quarterbacks, we don't have things like slate breaker or stud when addressing the quarterback. It's simply the first two questions you're asking yourself when assessing a quarterback is, is he getting me 20 guaranteed, and am I playing him naked or stacked? So let's talk about naked quarterbacks first. There's not many in the league. These are guys that on their own are generating a lot of points, but either they're on a team where they're not a narrow fantasy football team. So really quick, narrow fantasy football team means it is obvious like where the offensive opportunities are going. A great example of this, the last couple of years, the Vikings had Dalvin was getting the running back touches, Thielen and Jefferson were getting the throws. That's since changed, but that's a good example. So naked quarterbacks are Justin Fields, Lamar Jackson, your big runners. Jalen Hurts can be played naked for sure. And Patrick Mahomes is a good example of a not rushing quarterback necessarily. He does get good runs in, but he's a passer, but he's so special. He can really fill up a stat sheet, but not make anyone else on his team too special statistically. He really spreads it around. So those are the main guys that come out and play naked to me. The stronger lineups to me have actually always been the quarterbacks that are stacked because it's easier to make the lineup. You can basically build half the lineup based off the stack. And another thing I like about stacked quarterback lineups is if it fails, for example, a good stack I've always used, Joe Burrow, Mixon, and a wide receiver, usually Jamar Chase. Uh, one, you're taking care of a slate breaker in your own lineup right away. And what I like about stacks are that when the lineup fails, when it doesn't cash, sometimes it's easy to assess why. When the Bengals play a, an offensive stinker of a game where there's 30 points scored total and, the, and nobody gets off the ground, you can just say, well, that lineup failed because the stack didn't work. And move on. You don't need to pound yourself or, or worry about what you got wrong. It was just that was the game. It didn't pop off, you know. So it's a good way to assess why lineup fails. But more oftentimes than not, you're riding the Bengals in a 50-point-plus game. It's usually beneficial. I personally like stacked, or I should say I make my stacked lineups first and organically let the player pool kind of cover a lot of my preferred players and, and really spread my exposures out. And then only then do I kind of go back and look at what slate breakers I don't have yet, what other preferreds I don't have entered yet. And that's where I'm more piecing together lineups with a naked quarterback, Justin Fields, and then filling in those slate breakers who are hard to stack with their quarterback. Or Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson are a great example of this. 
you always want to play Justin Jefferson, but more times than not, you're an idiot for playing Kirk Cousins. Because again, why? He's not getting his 20 points. But Austin, you said the Kirk Cousins line is a good indicator of a good wide receiver pick. Absolutely. But that was for assessing the skill position players you're selecting. Again, one last time, I will say it. What is the quarterback position? It is the not fucking around position. If you need evidence, you know I'm going to give it to you. And it's hard to beat up on Kirk after that Netflix documentary. I'm pretty sure he needs to run for governor of Minnesota or Alaska, or let's just give him Canada. But the reality is Kirk Cousins only eclipsed 20 fantasy points six times last year, and only once did he score a gainful score. He had 34 points in one game, and that required 460 pass yards and four touchdowns. That was the big comeback against Jeff Saturday's Colts last year. Other than that, super pedestrian scores that required a lot of passing stats and a lot of passing touchdowns to get. And even one of those six, one of those six games he broke 20 points. One of those games he had a rushing touchdown, which is kind of a cheat code, right? So really he passed his way to five games over 20. It's not game log research that tells me this. It's just the fact that Kirk Cousins doesn't run at all. These pass first pocket passing quarterbacks who run just a little bit, just enough. We're talking 25, 40 yards a game. That is what really brings them over that 20 point line. So be looking for that. One thing that hurt me a lot last year in DFS was I leaned a lot two years ago on Justin Herbert stacks. And I won a lot of money two years ago off these charger stacks. Well, if you remember early last season, Justin Herbert had that rib cartilage injury that made him very Weak, brittle, and it really affected his throwing, but also pretty much turned him to a non-runner. I did not accept that almost all season and kept putting Charger lineups out there. And guess what? My quarterback wasn't making 20 points, and that killed me. So learn from my mistakes. Always, always are going with the guarantee quarterback getting 20 points. Now let's look into week one and our quarterback quarterback options. I'm going to tell you right now, it's not a lot, but I'll fly through all. I'll try to keep my comments short on the non-options, uh, but I'll fly through them all and just say, if they're a non-option, I'll just, I'll just say so. So first one I have here, Bryce Young. He's attractive because he is going to have a very low price, six and a half, but we have no idea. It's not a guarantee. And I will say this, watching the preseason and after watching Kyler Murray are we sure we're not going to go back to 6'5 quarterbacks who can see over the line of scrimmage? Because watching these shorter guys play, it's like they're peeking through windows, and if it's just not lining up like the moon and the stars in that window between the quarterback and his wide receiver, I feel like these young guys are just getting smothered. Uh, these young, shorter guys are just getting smothered. I know Drew Brees wasn't 6'5, but I still think vision is important at quarterback, but I digress. Anyway, Bryce Young, not an option. Desmond Ritter, absolutely not. CJ Stroud, Nope. Lamar Jackson, yes. Naked, probably play him every week because all it takes is that 45-yard run and a touchdown and the rest of the game stats for him to be at that 30-point and really give you an edge at the quarterback position. So, obviously, Lamar Jackson, an option. Joe Burrow, you'll play him every single week if you're smart and you'll stack him and try to find a useful piece on the on his opponent side to run back on. 
Trevor Lawrence, that's going to be a tough one. So if you played in week one, I wouldn't blame you, but he's closer to Kirk Cousins in terms of rushing than he is Josh Allen. If he starts, if his confidence is higher after last year, as it should be, and he does start squeaking out for those Mahomes-like runs where he's just kind of taking what the defense gives him and goes and grabs that eight-yard first down run, then yeah, he's he's there and he's great. Uh, it, Trevor Lawrence is going to be hard to stack too this year, based off you know the previous ep- episodes talking about running back and wide receiver. Trevor Lawrence, you know he's got two running backs I think that are going to be in the mix. Two and a half wide receivers that are considerable and a, and a tight end. So it's going to be hard to line up that stack accurately. Trevor Lawrence, I'd say play with caution. But there's going to be weeks this year that the right Trevor Lawrence stack absolutely dominates the week and makes the most money. So play it if you know it. Maybe if uh, the Ridley-Kirk dynamic is figured out pretty soon, maybe it's pretty useful. Anthony Richardson. Okay, everyone's looking at Anthony Richardson and, and saying, well, we have no idea if he can pass, but... They're going to be crappy. The Colts are going to be bad, and he'll run. Fun fact about Anthony Richardson, Kenny Pickett had more rush yards in college than Anthony Richardson did. I would be a little cautious about assuming he's just getting a ton of rush yards. Anthony Richardson, giant wait and see for me. Baker Mayfield, no. Kirk Cousins, I mean, I'm not saying you're never playing him, but you're playing him because you're stacking the lineup with with slate breakers. So if his value just makes a lot of sense, Kirk Cousins is a good guy to really apply that two and a half times value. You can try. You can try, but it's definitely, unless there's just minimal quarterback options in a week, I'm just, I'm never interested. But I played a couple Kirk lines, and I've, I've usually paid the price. But if you want to do it, more power to you. Ryan Tannehill, uh, he was fun a couple years ago. He was a big runner three, four years ago, kind of like the Mahomes type of running. And he's gotten away from that. But there was a good season of him running a a decent amount, you know, that 40-yard clip and uh, sneaking in a lot of rushing touchdowns. That's gone away. Uh, He's a non-option for me. Derek Carr, I mean, the guy's got to pass for 400 yards and three touchdowns for that for him to ever make sense. It's just just a non-option. Let somebody else talk themselves into these low low ceiling, barely gets to 20-point quarterbacks. Moving fast, Brock Purdy, non-option. Kenny Pickett. Probably not an option unless, again, he shows this year he's got the confidence to scramble and run. Keep your eyes on him, but I don't expect him to be an option. Colt McCoy, no. Sam Howell, zero clue, non-considerable. Jordan Love, I know I got a lot of Packer fan listeners, but he's at least a wait and see if if pretty much a non-option. We have no idea what Jordan Love's play style is. When he's in the fire, we have no idea how he's going to react. Look at the rush attempts. If his rush attempts are 7, 8 after playing the Bears, maybe you consider him the next week. I just don't see any world where a smart better plays him week one, which is a good place to pause here. I said a smart better. Know that there are outcomes you can pick with these quarterbacks that do pay off even though it was a bad call. So you could play – someone could say, I'm going to show you, Austin, and play Jordan Love and stack him with Aaron Jones, Christian Watson. Super cheap stack. Looks really good, and I bet you could fit some studs and, and a slate breaker or two in there as well. And if if all those other pieces hit, then these guys hit decent value. You're right. You're lineup one. Doesn't mean it was the right call. Moving still, Chicago Bears, Justin Fields, yeah. he He's going to be my baby all year. You know, you make that price work. It, you're not looking for the two and a half times. You just know that that guy runs so much. It's a given. He's breaking 20. Moving on. 
Jimmy Garoppolo's an obvious no. So is Russell Wilson. I shouldn't say Russell Wilson's not an option, but the Sean Payton magic has to hit strong, and Russ has got to show he's a 3-4 touchdown threat every week with a little bit of sauce on the running, too. Tua is a no. Justin Herbert, to me, is a yes because his stacks are pretty obvious of what you can do, and you can knock out some slate breakers while stacking the quarterback. That's one of my favorite ways to get quarterbacks who aren't prime rushers in is, you know, he's connected to Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. So you play a combination of those three, and, you know, week one they're playing the Dolphins. So maybe you slide in Jalen Waddell uh, or, or Tyree Kill to run back. That would be a very expensive game stack, but it's it's the thing that's the thing you're doing when you're building these lineups uh, based off stacks. So Justin Herbert's kind of in the burrow zone with me where – the rushing maybe can't be relied upon to easily get to 20. Uh, Herbert and Burrow are the quarterbacks that are always in my player pool that are the highest risk to not make the 20, uh, the 20-point the threshold. But that should give you a good indicator of how serious I am about hitting 20 points that two top five quarterbacks are barely making my player pool in there. Jalen Hurts uh, is next. Lock in your player pool. You got to play him every week. And if... The medicine hurts because it is always healthy to stack him. Devontae Smith is always sitting there at 7.2. So if you like him, he's always cheaper than A.J. Brown. Maybe you fit him in. And I will cover this here shortly. But don't you dare ever play Dallas Godair without his price being 55 or below. I'm telling you. Don't do it. New England Patriots are still abusing Mac Jones. He's not an option. Matt Stafford, great football player. Hall of Famer in my book. But not an option. And lastly, Geno Smith. Here's my one value quarterback I'll say that I'm going to look at, but I'm not sure. It's not a guarantee I'll play him. We'll see how everything breaks down. But what I do like about him is now with Jackson Smith and Jigba probably not playing week one, this may be one of your last chances to play a solid and cheap Geno Smith, DK Metcalf, and Lockett stack. I will say... Matchups still matter. Matchup plus, matchup minus, all that stuff is still matters with quarterbacks. And in week one, people aren't realizing yet that while Aaron Donald still collects a 99 rating on Madden, that Rams defense definitely does not. The Rams defense is depleted with veterans, and we really don't know how good the defense is, but we know they're going to be a lot worse than last year. So I think the Geno Metcalf Lockett stack is super sneaky. For week one, you're guaranteed to get healthy players in that game. And look who you can run back in that stack. Cooper Cup. So, pretty easy game stack. I think that's where a lot of guys should start. Just to learn how these game stacks work. I missed one quarterback. Deshaun Watson. Ugh. Okay, let's see if I can massage this in. So, I love Deshaun Watson when he was on the Texans. He was everything you wanted in a fantasy quarterback. Prolific passer. Who could also run. He wasn't rushing dominant. He ran seven, nine times a game, but they were healthy runs. Always a threat for that rushing touchdown. And then last year, getting our first look at him after a, a long hiatus, it was very safe to say that Jacoby Brissett was the best quarterback on the Cleveland Browns last year. Really hope that the rust is knocked off this year. It'd be nice to see a usable quarterback in Cleveland. But no one has an idea. So uh, he wasn't a big rusher 
before. He didn't have a ton of attempts, and I would imagine that those attempts will continue to decline. So it's an unlikely option and a wait and see for me on Deshaun Watson. Short and sweet. That's my breakdown of quarterback. That's how serious I am, though, about picking these quarterbacks that just just get it. Uh, I don't. I'll always take the heat of player pool sucks. It didn't work for me. You don't know anything. I will. But if I find out that you're not playing the quarterbacks that are obviously or definitely almost always should get 20 points, to me, you're not doing the player pool process. That's quarterbacks. Now let's move to tight ends. And if you thought my motto for picking quarterbacks was saucy, just wait till you hear what I have cooked up for tight ends. Talking about tight ends, this is our sixth episode, but I've already had listeners repeat this motto for picking tight ends to me. So I'm going to ask everyone listening right now, what do we do to the tight end position? Say it to yourself now. I bet you did not know Dora the Explorer was going to be on this episode. When using the player pool, we... Tight ends. I hope the metalheads can appreciate that. But just like my thing with quarterbacks, I can't push on this enough. You have to disrespect the tight ends when using the player pool in daily fantasy. I have to beat that into your brain because the rest of the fantasy football community has to sell you something every day, every week, all the time. And this this position is super helpful in winning football. It has entertaining players. George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, you know, Darren Waller. There's a lot of great star players at that position. But the reason we disrespect tight end is not because, honestly, of fantasy production, and it's not because of the tight end value to actual football. It is because these DFS sites price these tight ends way beyond what they should given the production they do on the field. Two great examples of flashy tight ends that people just can't seem to disrespect when building their lineup are George Kittle and Dallas Godare with the Eagles. To start off week one, George Kittle's price is actually pretty low for him. He's usually 7,700, but given his reduced price for week one, 6,600, you're asking him only to get 13.2 fantasy points to reach. Again, that guaranteed 2X value. Let's look at last year. If you bet on George Kittle, even at this reduced price, how many times you were actually successful at meeting value? One, two, three, four, five, six, barely. Six times he's reaching base value or higher. And his price is usually over 7000 Honestly, when you get on a website that has player values, you will see some, a stat that will jump out at you, which is basically outside of Travis Kelsey, every other tight end. Let me say that again. Every other tight end in the league at best is averaging 1.7 times value. It is the most mispriced position in daily fantasy football, yet the fish cannot help themselves. They want to have a star or somebody that they recognize in the tight end position. So I know one thing that I'll get back is, well then, okay, Austin, just play Travis Kelsey every week. Two pushbacks on that. One, he's not always in the main slate. Two, it's better 
to let the field overwhelmingly be on Travis Kelsey at his sky-high price. Travis Kelsey is always priced like he's a slate breaker. It's better to let the field take that giant price tag and let Travis Kelsey do his three-touchdown game and bet against a sky-high ceiling game from Travis Kelsey while also in your own lineup running against those lineups that do have Kelsey in your lineup having a lot more studs and a lot more slate breakers that make way more sense by the dollar, by their value. Am I saying that I've never played Travis Kelsey in daily fantasy sports? No, I'm not stupid. There are good games with good value that eventually I'll have Mahomes and Kelsey stacked together. But the tight end position and selecting your value tight end is extremely nuanced. I am picking people 4500 priced to 5500 price normally. I only go above when there's zero viable options in those price ranges. So what I'm saying here is two things at once. I am telling you, play the absolute lowest priced tight end that you can stomach. But I'm also telling you that your tight end choice cannot be a risk of getting zero. It cannot be a goose egg. You can be satisfied at the end of the day if they do one and a half times value or even one times value sometimes having a 4800 tied in get 1x value 4.8 points that was a better spin than living and dying with the rest of the field trying to pay up at tight end and getting in return 1.2 1.5x value the only other high price tight end i'll find myself playing is occasionally when Lamar Jackson's passing is going well, I could see myself stacking them occasionally. So how do you evaluate these very pedestrian tight ends? You're going to need a couple tools. So one tool I use online is a snap count summary by team website put on by footballguys.com. It's a really good website. You can go by team and see the progression week one through 18 and see the snap shares uh, by position. So I use this in making all of my lineups, but it's super helpful just to see how many times each uh, tight end is getting into the games. So a good example last year was Trey McBride and Zach Ertz in Arizona. You wanted to see Trey McBride with high draft capital, but a good veteran in Ertz. You know, who's on the field more? And it makes it pretty clear, and it can show you the trends uh, throughout the season. These value tight ends, you're looking for just a consistent four targets or so a game. And you really are banking on that goal line tight end, you know, touchdown catch, and it makes things a lot easy. But the benefit of being correct on your value tight end selection is it opens the rest of your lineup wide open for studs and slate breakers. Another thing you need to know, and I think we're seeing this in Denver, is you could have a three tight end rotation, but each tight end is doing something different. So one way to identify a good matchup, matchup plus, is if the value tight end who's in a 50-50 split with his blocking buddy tight end, I'll use as an example here, Greg Dulcich and Adam Trotman. It sounds like that's going to be the dynamic there. If that offense is going against a pass funnel defense, as I mentioned in the prior episode, that's an indicator to you that your value tight end is also facing a higher opportunity chance by going into pass funnel defense maybe his snap share counts just a little bit higher maybe he gets that one to two extra targets that's all he needs four or five targets that's all he needs to make sense so still assessing the situation 
looking at these snap counts uh, on footballguys.com or a similar website, these are all tools that you can use to get a value tight end. So let me go through the week one main slate tight ends. I'll comment on every tight end on every team, and we'll see if we can't try to identify the characteristics of what makes a good value tight end for the player pool. So leading off with the Carolina Panthers, this team brought in a lot of veterans and then put a rookie quarterback on top as a cherry. But I will say, I like Hayden Hurst. He is listed on here as the starting time at tight end. I doubt he dominates all the all the snaps there, but uh, he's, a, he's a pass catching tight end and he's only 5K. Prime example. Unlike wide receivers, you're not so dependent on if the quarterback for a tight end passes that Kirk Cousins line uh, in terms of quality of targets. Uh, here, I think Hayden Hurts is a good bet just to get some oh shit throws from Bryce Young. That's what that's that's what I mean. That's how disrespectful we're getting to the tight end position here. That's the bare minimum of what you're looking for. Uh, moving over to the other side of the ball, uh, Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts, he's actually priced pretty low. This is year three of hype for him. And if he carries any ownership at all, let that ownership fall into the toilet with him. But I will say 6K is getting kind of close. Uh, you're still opting for Hayden Hurst to me over Kyle Pitts with that 1,000 salary difference. But who knows? If Kyle Pitts slips into the 5,500 range, maybe he does become uh, somewhat considerable. But not for week one. Hayden Hurst right now looks like the best option. Let's see if we can find someone who beats it. Now on the Texans, again, C.J. Stroud at quarterback, but we don't care because we're picking tight ends and we have no respect for the tight end position. Dalton Schultz, veteran, 5.2. 5.2 is a solid price. Uh, it's a possibility. You do need to kind of have a decent idea of what the intent to throw to him is, though. Uh, the guys below him, uh, Tegan Quinta Toriano, I know nothing about him. Brevin Jordan. Uh, probably nothing. I mean, it's probably fair. It's probably a, a Hayden Hurd situation. Dalton Schultz, same idea. Moving over to the Ravens. Unless you are trying to stack some Texans back on the Ravens here, I don't think you're using Mark Andrews to stack with Lamar Jackson, but it's not the dumbest thing, but here we are. Case in point, Mark, uh, Mark Andrews is the best and most talented and gets the highest opportunities at the tight end position on this week one slate. Look at his price. It's 8,000. So just to get bare minimum, you're asking 16 points. That's a touchdown and like 110 yards. I mean, that is an absolute game of the year for Mark Andrews. Is what you're asking just to get base level value. Good example of how they just so poorly mispriced tight ends, but the draw of having a reputable tight end tricks people into playing that awful value uh, of a play. So avoid at all costs. Bengals, we got Irv Smith. Another good thing to know about tight ends, there are quarterbacks in this league that just don't use them. I've been saying this for a week to a couple of group chats I'm in, but there just are quarterbacks that just don't feed the tight end. Matthew Stafford is one of them. He had Hawkinson for a minute in Detroit. First round, pick tight end, barely looked his way. Aaron Rodgers, throughout his whole career, he had athletic tight ends. Uh, Robert Tunyon's the only tight end that truly had a, one good season. And that may have been a fluke because the next year when he was back healthy from a knee injury, Robert Tunyon and Aaron Rodgers didn't link up a lot. Before that, he had Jermichael Finley, who was an athletic freak. Jimmy Graham on the Saints with Drew Brees' level of a freak. 
Aaron barely got him the ball. There's some quarterbacks that just don't feed the tight end. Joe Burrow may be one of those. Irv Smith, very risky. Probably worth waiting and seeing, but he is 4900 it, It's a considerable price. David Njoku on the Browns. He is probably the highest skilled, highest ceiling, and best price tight end on this slate. 5600 it's still at a discount price that opens up your lineup, but... That's a, I mean, that's a really good price. This is a game that's going. At least his opponent's going to be scoring a lot of points, so the Browns are going to have to start slinging it. David Njoku looks like a home run week one. Kind of everything there. He's got a decent quarterback who passes the Kirk Cousins line. He's got a matchup plus in terms of the pace of the game, and his price is good. It's really good. So uh, that's like a sixty-yard, five-six catch kind of a game. You're almost at, at, at value. I like Njoku a lot week one. Jaguars, here's another talented tight end who actually gets priced to me accurately. I mean, it isn't, it's accurate. It's definitely still touchdown dependent. But for 5,800, you could have Evan Ingram. Again, I just think people are going to – I think someone's going to win the Millie Maker with a Trevor Lawrence stack, but a lot of people are going to lose more than a million dollars trying to stack it correctly. There's just so many options on this Jaguar team. They're going to be a good football team. They're going to be a terrible, terrifying DFS stack all year. Moving to the Colts. I have been swimming around the Colts tight ends for years, and I never pick them correctly. And I always get hyped up on the wrong athletic, young, freak, uh, you know, tight end. Uh, So they kind of have three, and I expect them all to play evenly. So if you're in this position with the Colts, they got Jelani Woods, Kylan Granson, Mo Alley-Cox, I know Jelani Woods, Mo Ali Cox, for me, took turns in being my value play tight end, but then the next week it'd just be one of those three. If you're facing a tight end room that's like that, that's just kind of a carousel, don't hurt yourself. It, there's your zero-point outcome that you need to avoid. On to the Buccaneers. Kate Otten is talented, uh, 4,900. And let's face it, Baker, not a great quarterback. He's going to have some oh-shit moments. Maybe some of those oh shits find their way to targets to Kate Otten. So I'm going to pause the tight end analysis and make a good lineup construction point now. We've already covered a couple bargain bin tight ends. Bargain bin tight ends are safe chance of not getting a zero. They're seeing four to five targets. Their price hovers around 5K. When you are done building your lineup, go to your bargain bin tight end options. And with any salary you have left over, or if there's guys with similar prices, Look to see if you can't correlate that tight end position to other players in your lineups. It doesn't need to correlate directly with the quarterback. You don't need the quarterback and and his tight end correlated together necessarily. Now, if you're playing Burrow and Jamar Chase and you just need to punt at tight end, then yeah, Irv Smith is a very safe plug-in at 4,900. But at the same time, let's say you have a running back or just another wide receiver and his opponent is one of these bargain bin tight ends. Plug that in. Try to correlate it so that if there's a score versus score versus score versus score game, maybe you scoop up two of those touchdowns between two of those players. Always look at the end. The timing of this is important. At the end of your lineup construction. And I correlate or move around the salaries a little bit to get some of these bargain bin tight ends correlated to other players in my lineup. The one correlation you do not want, if you can help it, is if you have a skill position player who is not stacked with his quarterback, I think it's best to not throw that skill position player's teammate, bargain bin tight end, into the same lineup with him. 
Let's get back to tight ends. Next up, we have TJ Hawkinson. He's another trap tight end. He's always going to be 7,000 or up. He does get a lot of targets. But let me ask you something. If you and I both got one NFL player to go head-to-head against each other all year in fantasy football, and I had Devontae Smith and you had TJ Hawkinson, who do you think is going to win that matchup? Because in week one, Devontae Smith and TJ Hawkinson are both listed at 7,700 range. That's what I'm talking about. People are choosing bad outcomes where you're asking a tight end to dominate and have a ceiling game. People are choosing that outcome at tight end to feel good about it instead of a solid option where, honestly, Devontae Smith has a lot of ceiling off the 7,000 price tag. So I can't push it in your brains enough. Disrespect that tight end position. Tight ends. Next up, we have two really good tight end options. I tell you what, finally looking at the entire main slate and looking at tight end options, I think not only do you have a ton of great tight ends that the player pool is looking for, but you're going to have a fun, easy challenge to correlate these tight ends correctly. That may be the difference in week one. Can you correlate these tight ends well? So we have a Konkwu and Juwan Johnson, 5,100 each. I think they're both great options. So Hickam, if they fail you, you made the right choice. Really strong options there. Konkwu's in a really good spot because Traylon Burks is unlikely to play week one. So he may be second in the pecking order in targets. And while Ryan Tannehill may only throw 18 times, you're looking at a clear six, seven targets there for the tight end spot at only 5,100. Love it. Yeah, back to George Kittle, 6,600. Occasionally, you're going to want to play a guy who has a name at tight end. I get it. And George Kittle, when he's floating at 6,500, is very tempting. I would challenge you in this first year when you're embracing the player pool to not pick George Kittle and really embrace and try to get better at picking these bargain bin tight ends. But if you had to and you did play George Kittle because you found a, a really good value play at, say, wide receiver, I wouldn't hold it against you at 6,600. I get it. But... To get better, you got to get better at finding these tight ends. Uh, moving on, Pat, Pat Fryermuth. Actually, to me, I'm shocked that Vandal doesn't try to jack his price up with the Steelers just being such a nationwide popular brand, but also Fryermuth is very likable. He's always like 5,500, so he actually does when the salary does flow over and I like my, my defense, I will pay up a little bit to grab him every now and then. 57's in the range, so you could reach. Although this year, I think I'll lean more towards buying the sturdier, no doubt of a defense over just jumping up for a different option at tight end that has the same outcome. Moving on, uh, Arizona Cardinals, Zach Ertz. I, I mean, the Cardinals are an absolute dumpster fire. I wouldn't touch them all year, but if you had to. Uh, Trey McBride, they spent a lot of draft capital on him, and then they got Zach Ertz over there to make sure he didn't, you know, get Trey McBride didn't develop too good. Uh, that's what a good organization does. So, Ertz and McBride, if the Cardinals had any brains at all, they would trade Ertz and let McBride get all the reps and see what happens. But that's another, just like the Colts, a stay-away situation. Even though McBride's price at 4700 looks amazing, stay away unless Ertz is traded before week one. Washington Commanders, you got Logan Thomas. He's still in the league, 4900 he was an athlete for a minute, and then his knee kept tearing. Unsure of what that's going to look like. John Bates filled in for Logan Thomas. 
when he was out and did a decent job. I, I remember playing him a few times. Again, just like high-priced tight ends are traps, I'm looking at this pricing for these two tight ends, and I feel like that's a trap as well because you just may guess wrong. Because, again, in tight ends, you cannot afford a goose egg in that slot either. Three points, four points feels better than zero. It all matters, and that's the mindset you need to make with these picks in, in this selection. So, yeah, the, the commanders' tight ends are also just a big wait and see for me. Now moving on to the Green Bay Packers, Luke Musgrave. Well, when it comes to training camp all-stars, if the tight ends were ever given their own section, he would definitely be in it. He's had a lot of good reviews from beat reporters. I believe in Luke Musgrave. 4500 that may be setting the floor for price at tight end in week one. Moving over to the Bears, Cole Komet. Today I saw that he was injured and carted off the field, but... I feel like these locker rooms at training camp just must be miles away because no player is walking back to the locker room anymore. Everyone's taking the cart. Keep your eye on it. Maybe his uh, injury is more serious and if it keeps him out of week one. You got Robert Tunyon sitting there, 46, Big Bob. Maybe that's something you correlate with a naked Justin Fields stack. That's a really good example of that. Uh, maybe you pick a more sure tight end to build the lineup, but then later down the road when you need to buy yourself just a couple hundred more to make it make sense with a stud or a slate breaker, or even just get a sturdier defense that you know isn't going to fail you, the Tunyon field stack would make sense if Komet's not playing. Austin Hooper, my favorite traveling tight end. All this guy does is switch franchises every couple of years and lives in my bargain tight end pool and, and usually delivers for me yeah, at least half the time. So now he's on the Raiders. Uh, the Raiders, to me, feel and look like a dumpster fire with a lot of decent players on it. Uh, so if Austin Hooper's playing Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, he's fed tight ends before. I think he's a, another good option. I think you're basically in week one going to have your complete selection of what tight end you want to play. You just got to make sure you don't pick a zero or fall for the, for the high-end tight end trap. Now going over to the Denver Broncos. This is a good example of you got to identify the blocking tight end versus the pass catching tight end, and you got to learn how to live with the risk if you engage the, in this dynamic. Because if the Broncos jump to a lead and the game script goes negative for passing, I mean, Dolchitz is in a matchup negative situation. And we have no idea what quality of football team the Raiders are going to be or the Broncos. This game could go any direction. I think Dulcich has a lot to like. I have cooled on him in the last few weeks. I even traded him away in my dynasty uh, league that I'm in for just the sure thing and Darren Waller. I think with so many good options on the board, why even play that game and find out that Adam Trotman's you know the much more preferred player getting 80% snap, uh, uh, 80% snap counts. So. Yeah, actually, there's the only wait and see I see with a probably usable tight end down the road in Greg Dulcich. But there's just way too many options that are in the same price range. Don't hurt yourself. Let somebody else pick the popular guy. Next up, we have the Miami Dolphins. I don't see a usable tight end. They're a pretty narrow fantasy team as of today. The Chargers position is Gerald Everett. You also got Donald Parham, and that's just another game of whack-a-mole that you just shouldn't be playing. Uh, there's so many options and mouths to feed on this team as well. So while Everett has had great games and his price is okay, uh, it's just too risky. Philadelphia Eagles, Dallas Godair, 6,400. 
he's always priced right at that range, and he looks like he would be so comfortable to stack with Jalen Hurts. All I'm saying is, for just an extra 800 in salary, you can, instead of living in a two-story house, you can have a four-decker on the outside with a built-in patio on the fourth level. I think, why would you ever stack Godair for 6400 for when you can get 800 more Devontae Smith, who could freaking go for 200 yards? It's just, it's fool's gold when you're uh, in Dallas. Stay away. Uh, unless his price drops, you know, below 5400 Moving on, New England Patriots. We got, just like the Colts and, and all the other tight end carousels, two viable pass-catching tight ends, both attractively priced, both non-considerable because it's likely they're just splitting the job there 50-50. You're not going to win that one. Now we're on the Rams. We got Tyler Higbee. He's a good option. Another really good option, veteran player. I know Stafford doesn't really go to the tight end a lot, but this is a team that I think is going to be kind of getting suffocated all year. And Higby with Stafford has shown to get enough volume, but it's risky. He could just as easily be frozen out. Stafford living with just, you know, 14 targets to cup, nine more to Van Jefferson, and just not a lot of targets left for Higby. But he's popped, so he makes your player pool. He probably doesn't make your preferred. Seahawks, Noah Fant, again, good price, but not used after being traded to the Seattle Seahawks. I don't know if Pete Carroll's system or organization really uses tight ends. I think the Seahawks tight ends is a place where, you know, good tight ends come to die. Will Disley was here. He was capable. He didn't do much. Jimmy Graham was traded here, if you can remember back that far, and fell off a cliff production-wise. Noah Fant, very fast, freak athlete, never been able to get himself a decent target share. There's probably reasons under the surface for that. So no option over there in Seattle. And that will do it for tight ends. My main takeaway, there are going to be a ton of really good bargain bin options at tight end for week one. I think half of those options are going to balloon up closer to 6,000 and not be worth it after week one. So it's going to come down to how good are you at identifying matchup pluses, trying to find the pass funnel defenses and all the other labels. How can you apply those to these tight ends and plug them and correlate them properly within the lineup as well? I think if you nail that and get a little lucky with a touchdown, you'll be on top of your contest. On Tuesday's show, we're going to talk about bankroll management throughout the season and then discuss Two star player situations who have not changed team-wise, but their offensive coordinators have. We're going to look at how their opportunities may take a hit. Again, if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed to us on Apple Podcasts or following us on Spotify. And hey, one last thing before we leave for the weekend. I just want you to know, I know there was a lot of harsh words said today. And we talked a lot about those bargain bin tight ends and what we plan on doing to them. But I just want to let you know, listeners, that if you were ever in the bargain bin, I'd pick you every time. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Player Pool Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Player Pool Pod.